This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. When I was 19, I stumbled into house hacking. I didn't know that's what it was called. In fact, I had no idea this was even a thing. I just did what I thought was normal. So yes, I purchased my first home when I was 19. I know that sounds crazy, you guys. I did not come from a family that had a lot of money. I grew up in a very poor family, actually, with a single mom, six kids in my household. So it was really tough to try to figure out how do you navigate adulthood and college and trying to be an independent person all on my own. So I saved up a ton of money and I bought my first house. Now I was stoked because I'm 19 years old. I've got my house. I'm like, yeah, freaking made it. American dream in the bag with my friend. I was stoked. I really was. And what I did was I knew that my house payment on its own, I could afford it, but it would be a little bit tight. And so I did my very first version of house hacking. I rented two of my rooms to two of my friends for $300 each. And my portion of the house payment was 300 bucks. It was so so cool. That allowed me to make a lot of progress on my financial goals. Now, let me be clear. Now I'm 31 and I don't know if I would actually want to have roommates anymore. I kind of like my space. But the idea of house hacking isn't necessarily about just having somebody rent your room. And that's why I was so excited to learn a little bit more from Craig Curlop. This is such an interesting conversation because house hacking can really help so many people reach their financial goals. It's a fantastic way for you to save money. It helps you reach your goals faster. And it helps you invest in real estate if that's one of your goals too. So that's why I was so excited to bring Craig on the show to chat a little bit about house hacking and his new book that he's created all about literally house hacking. It's crazy. It's a really great book though. So before we dive into Craig and all of his awesomeness, I want to share a really great money win. This money win comes from Chris. Chris said, had one of my biggest money wins today. After a few months of attempts, I successfully encouraged my wife to start contributing to her 401k and get that 50% match 
Woo! I am so excited about that. Hashtag money win. Chris, you are a rock star. Way to go. Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets oiled, or so they say. I think that's what people say, right? Anyway, even if they don't say that, congratulations. That's really incredible. And it's such a good accomplishment to get somebody to be comfortable with investing and get that free money. So I am super proud of you and your wife. Give her a big high five for me. That is such a cool accomplishment. All right, let's talk a little bit about Craig Curlap. He's pretty much a rock star, and he's also a frugality master. Besides sleeping on a futon in his living room while renting out his bedroom for a solid year. Yeah, I'm not joking. He really did this. Craig also rents out his car to strangers. He chooses to bike everywhere to save money on gas and loves travel points more than life itself. I feel like we're kindred spirits here, although I don't do travel points, but I do love travel. At only age 26, he's paid off over $90,000 in student loans. He owns three three cash flowing properties. Like what? At 26 years old, three cash flowing properties. That's incredible. And he even achieved financial freedom through the house hacking method, which is what he's talking about today, which is the best real estate investing strategy for young professionals on the path to financial independence. So if that's not enough, here's what you're going to learn from this episode. We're going to talk about why Craig thinks that house hacking is such a great investment. We talk about having that $90,000 of student debt and the really large role that house hacking played in coming fully out of that $90,000. That's a lot of freaking money. And a lot of people would just accept that it's going to be around forever. But Craig didn't do that, which I'm so proud of him for. We also talk about a rundown of what house hacking actually is. How does this look like and how does he view it? He goes into a pretty good breakdown of how to save up money for your first property and strategies for doing that. We talk about steps to find good tenants. That can be such an overwhelming feet. So he talks about how do you find good tenants that aren't going to totally trash your place, how he prepares for the possible physical damage. So in the event they do trash your place, we talk about how do you prepare for that? And then some general financing for income and expenses on a house hack. One of the last things we dive into is some warning signs to look for when considering applicants. I found this to be incredibly interesting. It was not something that I had initially thought of, so I thought it was really great. All right, you guys, are you ready to meet Craig? I am so excited to introduce you to Craig Curlop, the author of The House Hacking Strategy. Today, I'm joined by my new friend, Craig Kerlop from The House Hacking Strategy, the new book. Craig, congrats on the book. Hey, thank you very much. And thank you for having me on the show. I am stoked. I was reading through your book over the weekend as well. And you've got some really killer strategies. So why this book and why right now? Uh, Well, I just think uh, the house hacking strategy is such a great way to build wealth. And I honestly think it is the best way to build wealth because the returns that you get on house hacking is, I think, better than any other return that you could get in any other investing strategy. And it's available to people who are pretty young and really actively pursuing financial independence. And so I think if you want to get a a head start on financial independence, house hacking is the best and most efficient way to do that. I love it. I totally agree with you, too. And we're going to dive into what house hacking is specifically. But give us all a quick background. How did you get to where you are today? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I guess I started out, I was in a job that I did not like in California, Silicon Valley, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week, 
you know, making my boss 10 times more money than me. And it, <laughs> it really, it really all came down to this one weekend that uh, I was, it was like the last weekend I was spending with my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, she was moving away. I was moving away. So it was our last weekend together. And the last night I got an email from my boss, which was Sunday night saying that I had to get this memo out uh, Monday morning by 8 a.m. Eastern time, which was 5 a.m. Pacific time. And so the last night with me, my girlfriend and I were, it was basically ruined. And that really irked me. And I was like, you know, I probably won't marry this girl. However, this is a kind of like a predictor of what's going to happen for the rest of my life if I continue down this path. So something needs to change. And that's when I just, you know, I read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, figured out that I needed um, passive income, then stumbled upon real estate, stumbled upon bigger pockets, and then just went down the hole of basically building passive income streams primarily through real estate. That's amazing. I love that. And just so we all have a little bit more context, how was money talked about when you were a kid? I wasn't really talked about. You know, my parents are relatively frugal. You know, I grew up in a very middle class household. Like, mm -hmm. I always think of it as like as middle class as middle class gets. Uh, you know, we weren't rich, but we weren't poor. And it just wasn't talked about, you know, anytime I would ask someone how much money they made, it was just a, it was just a, Hey, you shouldn't ask people that, or Hey, it's none of your business kind <laughs> totally. of was the, was the response that my parents would usually give me. Um, and that was pretty much it. Like I saw my parents, you know, they bought things when we needed them, but they definitely didn't go overboard. So I just felt like it was very, it felt very normal to me. Mm -hmm. Did you go off to college as well? I did. Yes. I went to a private university in Boston and that cost me, I ended up graduating with $90,000 of debt. Get out, 90 grand. How did that feel? Uh, it was quite the burden. When graduating, I just figured I would never pay them off. Um, but actually, as of April 2019, I have paid them all off. And oh, congrats. Yeah, and, and, the, and the great bulk of that, I paid off about 85 grand of that in the last 12 to 15 months. And that's all basically, I can almost attribute all that to house hacking. I kind of figured that much too. So that is pretty awesome. Let's dive into that. What the heck yeah. is house hacking? Yeah. So house hacking is the strategy. It's a basically a beginner's tool to invest in real estate. And what it is, is you purchase a property, a one, two, three, or four unit property, and you purchase it for a low percentage down. So typically three and a half to 5% down payment. You have to, because of the low down payment, you're required to live in the property for at least one year. But if you're renting out a single family or duplex, triplex, or quadplex, you can rent out the other rooms such that the rent from the rooms that you're not living in is paying your mortgage for you. And you're living for free or potentially even less than free. You may even getting paid to live. You're building equity in the property as it appreciates over time. You're paying down your loan. And there's also tax benefits that go into it as well. So with all of those wealth builders, it's just really incredible how much your net worth will increase over time. I'm loving what you're saying. So three to 5% down is what we would have to come up with. And then we have to find a one to four uh, unit property. So of course the three to 5% down, how the heck do you suggest people save up for that? Any suggestions there? So that that is for sure the hardest part. And actually as part of the bonus content of this book, if you buy it on biggerpockets.com, there's a whole ebook that says how you, I wrote an ebook that says how to save up for your first property. Right basically, uh, basically what that ebook is, is just, it's going to tell you basically there's three ways that you can save up for that first property faster, right? There's spend less, there's make more at your job and there's side hustles. And those are kind of the three things that I dive into you know, saving and obviously if you're like the biggest way to say to save is by house hacking, but obviously you're not house hacking yet. So yeah. other ways to do that is just, you know, 
trying to get a place that's a really cheap place to rent that's really close to work so you can bike or walk there. Mm -hmm. You know, don't go out to eat, don't party all that much. Just try to really like stay disciplined for that first year or two. And again, side hustles are a huge thing too, especially with the sharing economy nowadays with Uber and Lyft and Rover and all these different sites that you can do. Find that side hustle and just basically start making money any way you can and just save all that so you can get that first down payment. It shouldn't take you, you know, if, if you start at zero, it should take you one to two years because really all you need is about 20 grand depending on your market. Which really isn't that bad, right? 20 grand, if you really buckle down, you could probably easily save that within a couple of years. Oh, for sure. So when you were doing your down payment, what was the strategies that you used? To save up? Yeah, to save up. Uh, so I was always very frugal in terms of like living in the cheapest possible place. <laughs> so I always lived in the cheapest possible place. I always tried to bike or walk to work. I didn't have a car for the longest time after graduating college. Uh, and also I would just always, my, my go-to was always to cook meals in. Mm -hmm. And even when I would go out with friends and stuff, honestly, I would usually eat before and then go out with the friends. And if they were eating, I would usually just pass on the meal or maybe get a small appetizer. And I would very rarely would I actually go out and drink. So that was kind of the the biggest things. And, and you just start to save really quickly. That's incredible. Okay. So like we get all of our savings in order. We're starting to maybe eat before we go out with friends. We're implementing all of the suggestions you have. So now we've got our fund. What do we do next? How do we actually get into a property? So the next, the next step after you've got the funds saved up would be to contact two people. The two people are your lender and your agent. So you want to talk to a lender to see how much you can afford based on the job that you have, the savings that you have, your current debt situation, all of that. They take that all into account and they tell you how much you can afford. So then you can later, after you figure out how much you can afford, you can go to your agent and say, hey, my lender has pre-approved me for X amount. Let's start looking for properties that are this amount and under so that we can start house hacking and we can start doing deals. And then the agent will start throwing you listings and throwing you properties that fit your criteria. You'll take a look at them. And then once you figure out one you like, you start making offers. So uh, these types of properties, I've heard about these a lot. And I, I think to my knowledge, they're pretty hot commodities. Did you have an issue finding a property for your first time? Nope. I've never found an issue. I've never had an issue finding a property. I get all of for my real? properties. Yep. I get all of them off of the MLS, so it's not like they're. I've got these super crazy connections. Literally, every can, everyone can look at them. In this market, though, it's hard to just find a deal. You really have to create the deal at this time. And what I mean by that is that you know my first property was you know it, it was a little bit crazy what I did, but I just knew I needed to really get my get my footing down. Mm -hmm. So I bought a I bought a duplex top a top bottom duplex. They were both one bed one baths. I rented out the top duplex full time. And I Airbnb out my bedroom in the bottom duplex while I created a basically a quasi bedroom out of the living room by putting up like a cardboard <laughs> wood, a cardboard room divider and a curtain. And I slept on a futon behind that for a year. And people think I'm nuts, but man, like that was my foundation. That's like how I really got able to save the next one. And also I had a revolving door of friends coming in and out because they're all travelers and I'm a big traveler as well. Mm -hmm. So we always had something in common. We were chatting. I, I've actually made some friends that I'm still friends with today through that Airbnb. That is so cool. You were committed. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was all out. I was all out. <laughs> I, I did not want to be work. I did not want to be working for 40 years, you know? So no, I don't blame you. I don't yeah. blame you. Was that your goal this, this whole time of house hacking was to get financially independent? Was that what you were thinking? 
yeah, I just I just really wanted to be flexible. I just didn't want to be put in a position where I needed to work to make ends meet because I just think I personally just don't believe that we were as humans were meant to sit behind a desk all day and stare at a computer screen. You know, I think we were meant to go chase our passions, whether that's traveling, whether that's starting your own business, whether that's starting a family. But I think you're doing a serious injustice to I'd be doing a serious injustice to my future family if you know, I would have to, if I had to work 40 hours a week and I wasn't there for my kids during the first, you know, five years of their life when they're home before they go to school. For sure. For sure. How old were you when you started this whole process? I bought my first property when I was 24. Okay. Okay. So very doable right out of college, you were hustling and renting it out. So for somebody that's listening in and they have enough money to save up for that property, they might already currently have that. How do we find a good agent? Any suggestions there? Uh, well, Bigger Pockets has a slew of good agents. I would highly recommend getting an agent who is, who knows real estate investing. Um, I'm actually an agent part time as well. So if you're in the Denver area, just let me know. Um, and if not, then I can definitely kind of probably, I honestly can probably help you find somebody. I've got a pretty big network of house hacking agents around the country. Awesome. Um, and it's really just through through Bigger Pockets because that is you know, kind of the mecca of real estate investing. And mm-hmm. if you find a real estate, if you find a real estate agent who has not heard of bigger pockets, I would just say move on to the next one. Honestly. <laughs> totally. Right. Like, well, yeah, seriously. It's like, you don't spend time on the internet then. And if you don't spend time on your internet, then you don't, probably don't care about your job if you're not doing any research. So Fair. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I look at it. I apologize to any real estate agents out there who have not heard of bigger pockets, but now, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No, I, I can imagine that I think for most agents, especially the ones that deal with real estate investing, I mean, Bigger Pockets is pretty much the go-to place for that stuff. Yeah. So I think it's a really good resource for sure. So one of the things that is always so interesting to me is you are house hacking, you're you're doing this thing where you've got a few different units, you're ideally optimizing for income. Is this for mostly Airbnb or long-term rental? What What's your strategy there? I kind of just do whatever the property tells me to do, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, so if it's in a really good location, I might Airbnb it because Airbnb will typically be a little bit more. Um, but I've got both. So I've got a, I've got the duplex is rented out full time now just because I could Airbnb and I could probably make a little bit more, but it's just a little bit easier for me to do the full time. But I've got another property up just outside the city that I do rent by the room. And that is, so I rent out, it's a five bedroom house. There's five separate leases for everyone who lives in the rooms. And I can make a little bit more that way. And then in my current place that I'm house hacking, it's a top and bottom. And so I'm renting out the top by the room and I'm going to end up Airbnb. I'm doing a renovation now to the bottom to make it into an Airbnb. So I I just kind of whatever, whatever works, you know. I like that you say, let, let the property speak for itself. I think that's that's a really good point. So when you are looking at a property and you're trying to decide, is this going to be better for Airbnb or long-term rental? What are the decisions? Like walk us through what's going on in your head. So I always make sure that it works as a regular rental first. The reason for that is I may not want to run Airbnb forever. Airbnb may go out of business at some point. True. Or the government may shut down all short-term rentals and make it extremely hard and difficult for us to do that. So relying on Airbnb, I think, is foolish. But it is absolutely a way. I think you should take advantage of that right now while you can, while it is okay and you can make more income from it. But if they were to shut Airbnb down, I could convert it to a full-time rental and still be totally fine. So that's kind of what I make sure. I make sure that it works as both. 
Um, and I also, same thing with rent by the room as well. I make sure it, if I'm going to do rent by the room, you get a little bit more money that way. So I usually opt to do that wait right now. But at some point, I'm going to want to maybe sell it, like have a property manager manage it, and they don't do rent by the room. So you got to make sure it works as a traditional rental and a specialized rental if you decide that you want to do a specialized one to make some more money. Good point. Good point. With the properties too, are these all in your own city or are these uh, outside of your city? How do you structure that? Uh, so with house hacking, you have to live there. So they're they're all in Denver or in Denver metro area. Uh, I, I couldn't house hack, for example, like back home in Boston or something if I was living in Denver. So they're all I in Denver. I wondered about that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I kind of wondered if there was like any loopholes where you can stay for, I don't know, 30 or 60 days in one location and count that as your primary, but... No, Darn. Yeah, no, unfortunately, no. It's really it's really risky to kind of go to try to do that and try to skirt around the laws. I mean, it's not like the lender comes in and checks on you once a month. But if somehow they do find out, then it, then it is, I believe it it's is It's a jail. nightmare. Yeah, it's jail time, I believe. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So don't come visit me in jail. We won't be doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so you've got the big issues I could see a lot of people would be having is first and foremost, the financing. We've already covered that piece. The second piece would be finding the property itself, which you said is not as difficult as we might think. And then the third piece would be screening tenants. I mean, being a landlord sounds a bit nightmarish for a lot of newbies. How do we get over that fear? So you'll never, I always say like, you'll never be 100% sure that the tenant will be good, right? But that's like anything. You don't, drive into a car, you're not 100% sure you're going to make it to your destination because something could happen, right? But we get in the car anyway and drive. Um, so it's kind of the same thing. I know that's a really morbid example, but um, <laughs> uh, that that's kind of how you But there's there's cautions you can take to pr- make it a very high probability that you will have a good tenant, right? And that all comes through the application process. And so you know, as part of the application process, I use a site called cozy.co and they've got a pretty good application that involves, you know, all their general information. They'll put in how much they make. They can upload their pay stubs. They'll do references to landlords, employers, or anyone else. And, um, and so you just, when they fill out the application, you call their references, you make sure you verify that their pay is what they say it is. You call their employers to make sure they're actually in fact still hired there. And then, also a part of that application is a background check and credit check. And, you know, I require a credit check of like 600 or over. And the background check needs to pretty much be totally clear. If there's like a misdemeanor for a DUI or something, I I may look past that. But, you know, if there's any felonies or anything, absolutely not. And I've just found that anyone who has had a bad tenant in the past has had a low, has had a low credit score. I've never met anyone that has had a bad tenant whose credit score was 600 or plus. So, Again, not saying it can't happen, but I'm just saying that's kind of how I've experienced it. Gotcha. And so I, I think if you screen all that, you also meet them in person when you show them the house and you get a good feel for who they are and if they're cool and if they'll get along with everybody. And if it checks all the boxes, you accept it. And if not, you don't. So plain and simple. Yeah. Nothing too crazy there. I like the 600 or higher. I think that's a really interesting point too. And then when you're meeting them in person, are you... I mean, is there any like traits that you're looking for specifically after you've already ran the background and all of that stuff? Uh, it's just it's just a gut check. You know, I, I think as humans, we kind of judge people immediately when we meet someone. Yeah. And so you just kind of take your judgment and, and, you know, if they're showing up in scrubs and not not like hospital scrubs, but, you know, ripped pants and, you know, they just kind of look really like scummy. Then yeah. you kind of know it's probably not going to be great if you can like smell the smoke, the cigarette smoke on their breath sure. as they walk in, or you can you just kind of know like 
you know, you meet definitely certain people and, you know, but if they're well-dressed, well-groomed, they've got a firm handshake, they look you in the eye, you can chat and joke with them as they're walking around. They almost feel like they could be your friend. I always really like that kind of interaction. Yeah. I think it shows that they're like an actual human, which is nice too. Exactly. When you're doing the, the leasing, do you allow people to have pets? I do not because with the rent, I do the rent by the room and there's just, you know, someone's allergic to dogs or cats or whatever. It's just, you know, there's, there's that whole thing. And there's also pets just never, I don't get me wrong. I like dogs and I like cats personally, but in terms of like in your house, you know, they're going to tear up the carpet. They're going to tear up the furniture. They're going to like, they're not going to make your house look nicer by any means. So no, seriously. Um, I, I just say no pets and usually people are okay with that. Yeah, keep it simple. You brought up a good point, too, of the damages that come with just normal wear and tear. How do you factor that into, like, your revenue? Are you setting a portion aside for some damages, or how do you structure that piece? Yeah, so in the the book, I kind of talk about, like, a lot, a lot of people's hurdles in, in doing real estate is they, there's like too many numbers, right? There's like all the rent coming in and you have to set aside some for vacancy and repairs and capital expenditures and all this stuff. So I just think that gets really confusing. And I would rather, the way I talk about it in the book is just, you want your rent to be about, fi- I like my rent to be 500 to $1,000 over my mortgage. And I like to, set, depending on the size of the house, I'll just set aside probably 250 to $600 for reserves and those reserves encompass all of those things so it's just one number you're talking about rather than all these different variables you're trying to figure out and that's kind of how i do it so yeah i do just set aside a certain amount based on the size of the house and the and the age of the house each month you just put it like in like a savings account nothing special there uh it's a yeah it's like a money market account but yeah basically Yeah. Okay. Now walk us through the, the financing piece of all of this. So we've got the rent, you mentioned $500 to $1,000 over the mortgage is what you aim for. What are some of the other financial pieces that you would include on either the income or the expense side to make sure we're tracking everything correctly? Yeah. So plain and simple, it's just what can you what can you get for rent, right? Which is like the rental income. And that will include any extra additional stuff too. So if you've got a garage and you want to charge extra for the garage, you put yeah. you add that to it, all that kind of stuff. There's some um, there's always a little bit of bonus in, in many of the houses. There are some bonuses and then your lender will tell you how much your mortgage payment is and your mortgage payment will include principal interest taxes, insurance and PMI or private mortgage insurance. And so basically you factor in, okay, like what is going to be my total monthly payment? What is going to be my total monthly rent? What is that difference? And the larger that difference is the better off you're going to be. It's really that simple. I love it. I love to just talking about your book for a sec. You did a really good job of breaking down different case studies that were applicable for legitimately everybody in life. And I thought that was really smart and very intelligent. So Mm -hmm. thank you for doing that. But one of the things that you mentioned in your book too, that I thought was interesting was something about due dates being the 15th. Can they pay on the 15th? You have a pretty strong opinion on that. Can you talk about us why that is? Can they pay on the 15th? Yeah. I don't like when people pay on the 15th um basically um so some people say like oh you can charge them a little more if they can pay on the 15th or whatever right yeah um because it's like you're paying two payments i'm just i just say like i like to it gets really confusing when there's multiple payments coming in on multiple days i like to just see okay are all the payments in on this day on the first or are they not so yeah, that's kind of, I think, the big reason. Or am I am I missing something? Or No, no, that's pretty no? much it. I thought okay, it was interesting. Yeah. You also said it's also could be potentially a sign of financial irresponsibility. And I literally was cracking up because I'm like, oh, my God, that's so true. 
Yes, yes, exactly. If people are asking for special things, it's because they're probably irresponsible in one way or the other, is what I found. Like, if people want to pay six months upfront, no, I don't want to do that. I want my monthly payments because six months upfront means you're doing something sketchy in those last five months, right? That's right. Um, yeah, like it's just, or, or the other thing too is like people want to move in tomorrow. No, you're not moving in tomorrow. Like, if you need to move in tomorrow, clearly something as sketchy is going on, and I don't want to be part of that. So, um, yeah, I just Makes really, sense. yeah, yeah. Walk me through too. I'm always curious. How do you prioritize? And like, are, are you treating these properties as strictly cash flow? Or are you looking at like, I should pay extra towards the principal to get it paid off as soon as possible? How do you approach that in your head? So at this point, I'm just trying to build build my my portfolio. I don't have any you know, the, the mortgage payments, the interest on in the mortgage payments are so low, you know, especially this time it's on uh, my mortgage payments are between three and a half and 5%. And I know that I can achieve a higher return if I do another house hack or if I put my money almost anywhere else. So I decide that I'm not going to pay down the mortgage anymore at this point, And I'd rather just build at some point when I feel like I have enough properties, maybe I'll start paying down the mortgages, but yeah, I just don't, I don't see it as a smart financial move if I'm trying to build as fast as possible. Totally agree. Totally agree. And then with the properties, I know some of them that you purchase do need some work. Are you doing the work yourself? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, definitely hire, hire out the work. Usually if I try to do the work myself, I have to hire someone to redo it anyway. <laughs> I'm like the least handy person you'll ever meet. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, how many properties do you own currently? Uh, I've got three house hacks right now, and we're doing a, a kind of a rehab flip out in Jacksonville, Florida, but that, that might be a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So the first property was probably the scariest. Did you go through any like emotional struggles there where you were like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the wrong decision? Is this right? How did you navigate the emotions behind that? Oh, 100%. That first, that first one was a slog because, you know, I was living behind a curtain right and and people were you know doing their thing in my bedroom and like it was just it it was it was a slog for sure like it was i was like man is it worth it is it worth it like am i even getting anywhere you don't even really see your bank account really growing at that point yep um and it's just like you definitely pay your dues before you see the results but literally like once right after i got out of that first one and i bought the second one and that one started making money, you know, the first one was started making more money because I moved out and I was also making money in my second one. That's when you really start to f see the benefits. You're like, okay, like, you know, now you've got tens of thousands of dollars and you can start really like seeing, seeing the trajectory. Basically you're seeing your net worth grow at a much faster rate after every property you buy. Sure. And it, it, feel, it starts to feel good because then you start to feel like you have some freedom, you got some extra cash on hand, all that kind of stuff. So I love it. What'd your friends and family say when they saw your first property? Oh man. <laughs> so my friends just thought I was nuts. Um, my, <laughs> my family also thought I was nuts. They, everyone, I was called all these sorts of names, like cheap, I, miserly, all of these things. <laughs> they just thought I would be like living on a couch forever to save a few bucks. And I was like, no, like this is just a, like a stepping stone to where I want to be. And, uh, yeah, it was actually hard kind of navigating that too, because as you know, at the time, like no one, was really doing it. None of my friends were doing it. And so it was just like, you just kind of felt, you just felt different. And actually, I, I, I think I mentioned this in the book as well, is that through this, through this strategy, through like this pursuit of financial independence, you are literally never going to be relatable to anyone that is like a normal life, right? Because you're going to start out 
you're going to, so you have to really be really, you have to get comfortable being different because you're going to start out looking basically like a homeless man, right? You don't have to sleep on the couch to get started, right? But you know, you'll be living with roommates. You might be making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you could totally afford that new special place downtown, but you're going to instead opt to live 10 miles outside the city and live with roommates. So you could actually live for free and buy the house. People are going to ask you, why are you doing that? Like you've got a good job. Why, why, why? And, and you might even start asking yourself why as well. But then after you get that first one, right? And again, you don't have to live on behind a couch. You can just rent, live in your own room. Mm-hmm. The second one, you start, you know, getting some more money. And so now you've got, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars to buy another house. And how many people do you know? How many normal people with normal jobs do you know buying a house every year? Yeah. Right. So not, not that many. <laughs> and so now you're like, okay, now you're starting to buy houses every year. You've got a lot of money. And then you can also let like lighten, lighten up a little bit. After my first house hack that first year, I lightened up a little bit and I started to travel a lot more and I started doing all these trips and people always ask me, well, how do you do all these trips? I'm like, well, now that I've got some passive income, I can let off the gas a little bit in terms of like rapidly saving. I'm not afraid to go, you know, spend a thousand dollars on a trip somewhere. So it really is super. Yeah. It's so, yeah. So then you become less like anyone else because you suddenly become richer than everybody else. And it's not like you have all the nice things, but you just do all the nice experiences and your social media starts to look really nice and all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> do it for the gram. <laughs> do it for the Instagram. Exactly. That's right. And then yeah. I think it's always interesting because then they start to come to you for advice. Like, hey, how'd you do this? Yep, exactly. And then, yep, before you know it, people will start coming to you, talking to you for advice. And really like, there's nothing that I have done that no one, like nothing I've done is revolutionary. I've just copied everybody else that has been successful. It's just the only difference between like me and, and everyone else or someone who is doing this and not doing this is that they actually just took action on it. And you have to realize that, sure, there's risks involved, but we're humans. And when we when we're faced with some sort of challenge, we're going to adjust to make it the best possible situation for us, right? Like if we start losing money like crazy, we're gonna do something about it, right? We're not just gonna let it happen and to go bankrupt. So you just have to kind of have confidence in yourself as well when you when you kind of get into the strategy. I would imagine that confidence comes in time too. With experience comes confidence. So I think oh. you, you start to be more comfortable with the process maybe? For sure, for sure, yeah. The first one is again, it's very scary, but you really just have to like, I think like the, the big leap of faith, honestly, is 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 calling the agent and calling the lender because they're very motivated to make sure that you close your deal because that's how they get paid. Sure. And so when you start getting other people involved and they start sending you deals and you start having meetings and all that kind of stuff, you're like, oh, well, crap, I'm in, right? Like there's no backing down now. And so that's how I felt at least. And so that's kind of what you do. I love it. I think this is so interesting. I love the the different. Well, I, th- I think the accessibility is what I appreciate the most is this is something that can be realistic for a lot of people if they choose it to be. And I think that's the, the key point is this is a choice and this lifestyle is something that can work for you. When did this become your full time thing? Um, what do you mean? Sorry. What do you mean by full time thing? Um, so like your your primary income. Oh, well, so. I still work at I still work at bigger pockets. Um, yeah. I, I could so with this third property now, uh, I could theoretically quit bigger pockets, quit quit my job here and then and, and basically be able to sustain my lifestyle forever. And that's mm-hmm. what like financial independence is, right? That's right. Um, so it, yeah, it took me basically two years, two and a half years technically, from a negative net worth to financially independent, basically through house hacking. So, Damn. Yeah. And again, not a lot of people 
you don't have to be as aggressive as I was with like sleeping on your couch, right? Like there's so many ways to go about doing it. And you'll see like in the book too, you can do, if you just have like a basement that you're not using, you can rent that out or Airbnb that out. It's just really super, super helpful. And as long as you screen your tenants, you're really not going to have too many problems. And it's just, I don't know, I'm just so passionate about having everyone do this because it's just such a great way to build wealth. Yeah, I think it is too. I, I really do appreciate the whole strategy. And again, the case studies, guys, it's all laid out in the book. So you can just read through people that have very similar situations to you and see how it works. But I love that we're talking about this now because a lot of people are considering buying a home. And I think that's the the key piece, right? Is before you buy that house, look through all of the different properties and see if there is a way to make money off of those properties. And I think that's the key piece that I really took away from your book as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been a totally good conversation and I think we've covered a lot of ground. The details are definitely all in the book. So for everybody listening, then I hope they go read it because it was very eye-opening for me too. Is there any caveats or any things that you would say, caution, red flags, watch out guys before you buy your property, do these things. Is there anything that you would suggest for us if we're going to be investing in properties? Uh, I would say a lot of a lot of people who who advocate for people to invest in real estate say to go out and like raise money through someone else. Yeah. I would say for your first one, it probably makes a lot of sense just to like do it with your own money. That way you're not at risk. You're not risking a relationship or your reputation or anything like that. Not that like it will go wrong or anything, but uh, if you do your, you know, if you do your research and you, and you, and you educate yourself, but I would say, you know, just if you're not at the point where you've got 20 or 30 grand saved up, just Get your head down and start saving, and and that changes on your market. You know, if you're in a less expensive market where the houses are 100 grand, you don't need 20 thousand dollars. Maybe you only need 10, right? But I'm thinking in a in a market where the average house is 300 to 400 thousand dollars, you probably want 20 to 30 grand saved up. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, do the do the first one your own. Understand how it works. Get that mortgage yourself, and you know, just you'll you'll see like you'll you'll really when you start to save when you. When that month comes and you get that first rent paycheck and you don't have to pay rent, yeah. it just feels so good to not have that not have that expense, you know, because it's likely your largest expense. Oh, for sure. I, for sure. I mean, there's always those big three that take up most of our money, our house, our food, and our transportation. So if you can save on just the housing alone, you are already five steps ahead of everybody else. I think it's incredible. Yeah. And that's on average, that's if, if your housing is 33% of what you, that's like the rule of thumb that someone came up with sometime, but that's about what the average American spends on housing. You're saving 33% of your income right there. And if you can, like what I do with my house hacks too, is I always make sure it's by a bike path. So I actually bike into work almost every day. So I save on transportation as well. Dude. So like if you just do those two things, you're saving 50% of your income right there. Killing right? it. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know. It's like, a, I think it was Ben Franklin said, uh, well, actually, no, Ben Franklin said a penny saved is a penny earned, but he was actually wrong. It's a penny saved is a penny and 50 cents earned because of taxes. <laughs> That's so true. I love so, it. Yeah. That's so cool. I love how, I mean, you're, you're just very strategic with all of your decisions when it comes to housing. Like you mentioned, okay, I'm just going to ride my bike. That Most people don't even think that way. So I think that it's really a testament to what you can do if you're willing to be creative and maybe live a little bit differently. So props to you. Thank you. Yeah. Riding a bike is so much fun in the morning too. I hate when I, sometimes I do have to drive and I just really, yeah, I really don't like driving into work. There's always do you get like road rage and <laughs> so, someone always beeps at me every time. Maybe it's cause like I just don't, <laughs> don't drive much, but like when I bike, it's just like a nice euphoric, you know, 
down my bike path by the river. Like, it's so nice. Like this, like, meditative experience in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. I really highly suggest anyone do it if they can. <laughs> That's amazing. Craig, this has been so much fun for everybody listening in. Where should they go to learn more about you, to buy your book, Pimp Yourself Out? Yeah, so if you want to learn more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Fi Guy. It's like at T-H-E-F-I-G-U-Y. Uh, if you'd like to buy the book, the book is on sale starting October 3rd at biggerpockets.com slash house hack. And again, there's a couple different versions there. If you want to get the bonus content, I've got like a calculator in that ebook I was telling you about how to save up your first, how to save up the first, um, whatever, 20 grand for your down payment, you know, that will be in the bonus content or you can find it on Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and anywhere else starting October 17th. So there's a couple week lag there between when it's launched on bigger pockets and when it's launched on Amazon and everywhere else. So cool. Okay. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Hell yeah, let's do it. All right. Craig, what's one purchase you've recently made that has made your life better? Um, man, I can't think of the last thing I purchased. Um, I guess I know these are supposed to be rapid fire, and I'm failing at that. Oh, I bought I bought I bought a pair of uh, of shoes that are really comfortable. Like I, I like splurged on. I put like a hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes, and that's one thing I don't cheap out on. That's so smart too. All right, next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. I just find them to be so interesting. So, what is your current morning routine? Oh, have you ever read The Miracle Morning? Yes, I love it. So I do basically that, the all of the savers. Um, I started a couple years ago and I like woke up an hour before, but now I wake up like th- I wake up at like 4:30 a.m. and I start that whole morning routine. And my day is so much better when I do that versus when I don't. Wow, break it down. So for somebody that hasn't heard that, give us the details there. Okay, yeah. So so the, so Hal Elrod wrote a book called The Miracle Morning, and he's got these thing called the savers. And this savers is an acronym for um, S stands for silent slash meditation. So I'll do 10 minutes of meditation. I'll do affirmations, just repeat like my goals and stuff. I'll do visualizations. You close your eyes and visualize your goals. I do exercise, which includes about 30 to 40 minutes of yoga plus the bike ride into the work. Um, There's reading. I'll usually throw an hour of reading into there. And there's also scribing, which I'll do like my blog post writing or any writing that I need to do. And I'll also write down things that I'm grateful for and things I want to improve and other goals and stuff. So yeah, that's kind of everything I do in the morning. It takes about three hours, but I really enjoy it. It's just, I don't turn my, I keep my phone on airplane mode through the night and I don't turn it on until I'm fully done with my morning routine. So it's great. So smart. I love that. Very, very cool. Okay. So you're a traveler. This will be a good question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, hmm. Everywhere, honestly. But I think I really just want to do some long travel. You know, I've only, the longest I've ever been traveling for is a month. And so it's always been a little bit rushed. I'm really excited to do like maybe a couple of years of traveling where I can just really slow travel. And and so I, I, right now I'm, I, I went to South America a couple of years ago, but I'm really excited to go back there just because I'm really into hiking and outdoorsy stuff. So, and I can kind of speak a little bit of Spanish. So that's kind of where I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to go back there. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, my last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? In, in a, just one sentence, it is spend less than you make. Um, yep. That's really very simple. You know, don't buy things you can't afford. 
there's just like, and don't be afraid to be a little bit different, right? Like the way everybody else does it is not necessarily the right way. You just have to figure out what works best for you, what your goals are. If your goal is to retire early, if you look at almost everyone else out there, they're not retiring early. So you got to do something different than everyone else. And so, yeah, if that, you know, um, I guess that's pretty much it, but just be super frugal, spend less than you make. And if you can increase that gap from what you make and what you spend, either make more or spend less, you'll be very successful financially. Bam. And then of course, house hack on top of it. Yes, of course, house hack. (laughs) I love it. Craig, thank you again for your time. It was truly a pleasure getting to know you and learning all of your tips and tricks. I, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Whitney. I really appreciate you having me on. What did you think? I love this episode. I thought it was really interesting and very practical. And I think that's the piece that I appreciated the most is how easy this can be. That's the thing. We make personal finance way more complicated than it needs to be. And I thought this idea of house hacking to reach your financial goals, even if you just do this for a short period of your life, is so smart. It's so smart, you guys. I I mean, I'm obviously a fan. I've done it myself. I think it's a really great way to go. If you have enjoyed this episode, then do me the biggest favor. Leave a five-star review and leave a little comment too. Tell me what specifically about this episode you really liked or resonated with you. It means the world to me. And if you have not followed me on Instagram, come hang out with me there. I'm there pretty much every freaking day for better or worse. What is with me saying for better or worse today? I don't know what's going on, but that's where I'm at. I'm on Instagram at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. So come hang out with me there and say hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.